happy Father's Day. I'm glad that you guys are with us this morning. My name is Brian Lamb. If I haven't been able to meet you, as I said last week, I'm filling in for Jason. Um, I work here at Solid Rock and have the privilege of getting to work with the student ministry and the worship and tech ministry. Um, I also have the honor of being able to open God's word with all of you today, and I truly believe that it's an honor to be able to do this and stand up here and preach and teach. And so this is not, as I said last week, something I take lightly by any means, but it's something that I really uh, want to do well, and I want to serve you well as best as I can. And so, um, like I said, uh, Jason is off in the Philippines as well. I got to FaceTime him this morning for about 15 minutes, um, I think around 7.20 or so. I don't know what time it was there, but uh, they, they had, a, so far, it looks like they've had an awesome trip. They're kind of on the le- last uh, leg of the trip, tra- starting to travel back to America. They were at uh, Dottie's Place, which is a hotel that we stayed at uh, when I went. And, uh, and so they're kind of hanging out there as they're waiting for the next flight to get to Manila. And then they'll go from Manila to um, to the U.S. And so they're almost home from what he said. It's been an awesome trip, and he said he misses all of you um, and can't wait to be here next week with all of you. And so um, today, I uh, wanted to give a shout-out to all the dads. Happy Father's Day. Uh, this is a great uh, day, and so we are. Uh, I'm looking forward to preaching on uh, what Jason gave me to preach on. The task that he gave me was to preach on biblical masculinity. And so I think it's fitting that he gave me that task on, uh, on Father's Day. Um, we've been in the series of Hebrews, uh, which is our Jesus is Better series for the past six weeks, and we're going to take a three-week break, and we're going to be into our, going into our series called Family Matters, which is that look with the shoes. It's awesome, isn't it? So those are some big dad shoes, aren't they? Like, anybody realize that? So anyways, so um, anyways, so we'll be in there for the next three weeks, and this is our first sermon called Biblical Masculinity, and I think it's a very noteworthy topic for us to be discussing in the church because I think that there's um, really a lot of different and confusing ideas about what it means to be a man today, and especially about what it means to be a man of God. And so really, if you look at manhood, few things are more broken than manhood today. And the cost of that brokenness is extremely enormous. Um, And the reason for that is that manhood has now become something that it was never meant to be. Manhood has become a competition full of prideful men with the concern only to outdo the other man and what society has deemed as manly. And those that maybe don't have that interest or those that um, maybe um, don't excel in whatever society has deemed as manly are now outcast and told that they don't belong. And so the role of also the role of the man in the family and the role of the man in society has really, I believe, become something, um, nothing more than a joke. Because manhood is now simply living in your home with your family or showing up to work. That's the, the pinnacle of success in our culture of manhood. Um, and what we will see today is that as we begin as men to live up to the call of what God has placed on our lives that we find in the scriptures, that everything begins to change. That not only do our, our families change, but our society changes for the better when men step up to the call of what God has placed on our lives. And so I'm not just talking about men being in a home. And I'm not just talking about men being in society because it's possible um, for a child to grow up fatherless or a wife to not really have a husband and the father or the husband live in the home because he is disengaged in the family. It's possible for men to be around in our schools and in our communities and in our society, but for there to be a lack of true men because they are disengaged in those areas. And so 
Manhood is ultimately about us as men engaging our families, our communities, and our society through the lens of the gospel and how God has designed men to work. And that when we do that, um, things begin to flourish and things begin to change. And so really the lack of this is what I would call a disease that can hit any ethnicity, any culture, any age. And TV shows like Mari and Jerry Springer have made a killing off of men refusing to be husbands, men refusing to be fathers, and men refusing to be members of society. And so many men in today's world are living for their own purposes. They're living for their own wants, for their own fantasies. And the sad reality is the fact that from beginning to end, God has purpose for men, significant purpose for men. And we have lost this. But in and through Jesus Christ, it's something that can be discovered and something that can change absolutely everything around us. And so for that reason alone, I think this is a noteworthy topic for us to be discussing today. Um, I want to talk to the women real quick in here. Um, some of you may be tuning me out today because we're talking about men, and I would encourage you not to. However, there may be some of you that are like elbowing your husband like, you better listen today. But thank you, Jesus. I knew there was a reason I woke him up, Right? And so, either, whichever one you are, um, there's a reason that you need to be listening today. There is. Um, and so, let me just go through a couple of those. One is, Jason is next week going to be preaching on womanhood. And so, um, I hope that you come back for that Sunday. I think you'll be blessed by his message. It's going to be awesome. And so, I hope you are a part of that. But also, another reason I want you guys to be able to listen, and, and, and a huge reason why this is important for you today, is because, one, you need to know what God has intended for you. But also, you need to know what God has intended for men to be in and to walk in so that you can encourage and support men in that when you see it. And so the first reason I want to just talk about real quick is so that you can know what God has intended for you. Meaning it's important for you to know a man's role in your marriage, in your family, and in your uh, society, in your culture, in our communities. It's important for you to know those things because there's so many false ideas. There's a false image out there of what manhood really is and what it's supposed to be and what it is defined as. And it's creating this false image of what true manhood is because Honestly, and I say this as a man, many men are getting let off the hook way too easy. Way too easy. Because we will see today that we were, as men, not designed, nor were we called to simply be weighted on hand and foot. As men, we are not called or designed to go to work, come home, and let our wives take care of the house and take care of the kids and go to the PTA meetings and go to all the ball games and rehearsals and all those things and be the sole parent of our families. We will see today that as men, we were not designed, nor are we called to let our wives get their encouragement, um, find uh, security, and be able to be comforted by everything else in the world but us. And we will see today, ultimately, that the qualifications of being a man worthy of a woman is not simply that he can shave or has a job. That's not the qualifications. And so, now if you're single in here today, and I know there's going to be single people men and women, but if you're single in here today, especially a woman, and you're not married, um, that doesn't mean you need to tune out either, because no matter what, where you are in life or what you're doing in life, you will be affected by a man. 
And, and everyone in here has a man in their life in some form, in some fashion. And so we need to know what a godly man is supposed to look like, not only for our future marriages, but for our workplaces and for our communities and for everywhere. We need to know how a godly man is supposed to treat a woman in any capacity. And so this, as weird as it sounds, one of the most attractive things about Allie to me when we first started dating was the fact that, like, she knew what she was looking for in a man. And I wasn't even close. But somehow she, she said, okay, I'll date you. But, um, you know, that was one of the most attractive things because, like, she was just confident. She knew what she was looking for. And the reason for that is, one, she had pressed into the Lord long before I ever came along. But, two, she had a godly man raise her that I now look up to as, as a father figure, as a, as a husband figure. And so we see that we need to know what's intended for us. This helps us as women walk through life. And then the other reason would be um, that I want you to hear today and I want you to tune out is so that you can support and encourage men in these things when you see them. That's a very important part. And so if you're married, you don't need to go home today, see something that you don't like, see something that they do wrong, and then just come up to them throughout the week, press play on the podcast, and be like, maybe you didn't get all what Brian said the other day, why don't you give another listen, and this time it'll take, hopefully. Like, that's, that's not what I'm talking about here, okay? What I'm talking about here is trusting the work of the Holy Spirit in our husbands' lives. And so what I'm talking about here is not pointing out each and every little detail in each place where he has failed at what God has called him to. I'm not talking about lording over your husband in that way. What I'm talking about is coming alongside of him and being able to encourage him and support him and um, being able to call out these things that you see that are going well. This is an important thing for women to be able to do. This is an important thing for us to know that, that you see that in us, that you see that we're living up to what God's called us to. But it also, what it does is it helps us remember that we have a responsibility. And so women, please don't stay silent in your relationships and your marriages. Um, and so what we see here, these are just a couple of reasons of why this is a very important topic for everyone in the room. And so we're going to look at the creation and the design of men. We're going to look at the call for men who have families. And then we're also going to look at the call for all men of what just manhood is. And so in order for us to really understand manhood, we need to see the purpose in God's creation of man. It's a very important place for us to start. And so in the creation account of Genesis, there's two chapters that we believe go together. They're not different creation accounts. They're the same creation account. Some people will read it, and they'll be like, how do you believe in this stuff? You've got two accounts of creation. Well, we don't believe that we have two accounts of creation. We believe that it's the same, okay? And with some study, you can see that. And so what we believe is that Genesis 1 is a general account of creation, Okay? And then Genesis 2 is a specific account of creation, mainly about men and women. And so another way to put that was we have a micro or macro account of creation, and we have a micro account of creation. And so this is very important for us to understand. And so when we look at the general account of creation in chapter 1, we see that God, which is just awesome, he begins to create things by speaking them and commanding them into existence. And then when he creates men and women, though, it's different. 
He says that he creates them male and female, but he creates them in his image and after his likeness. And so God fashions, he shapes, he puts together men and women with design, with purpose and intentionality. In Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we see that God formed men and he formed women in the image of God and after his likeness. That statement alone is jam-packed full of theological truth that shows us that we as men and women have significant purpose here on this earth. Because we have been created, set apart from all other creation as superior. And it was because that they were made in the image of God that they then were allowed to rule over creation. And so what God is doing here, he says that he is creating us in order that we would mirror his image, reflect his image into creation. That means we are created with a purpose. And so God gave us dominion. He gave us rule over creation so that we would display the ultimate rule of God in creation. We are his image bearers. We are created to reflect the glory of God throughout the earth. And in representing God, we are to glorify him as creator. So this means that we have an incredible responsibility as men and women. This means that we are all created with purpose, that men and women, our lives have significant value on the basis that we were created in the image and after the likeness of God. So this is saying that men and women were both created with this purpose. And so men and women were created equally in God's eyes to bear the glory of his name throughout creation, but it also says that in Genesis 2 we start to read that they were created differently that they are designed differently, that they have different details and different roles. And so not in a way, though, where one is better than another one, but just in a way where it's different. And so, women, I do not want you to walk away today thinking that I have said that men are better than women because that's not what I'm saying. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what this church believes by any means. What we're saying here is what we can see is the fact that God creates us both in his image, but he creates us with different roles, designs, and purposes in that um, realm, in in the specific design and makeup of men and women. And this can be seen from the Bible, but can also be seen if you just look at children. You just look at children, you see that there's there's some differences between boys and boys. And girls, and so I grew up with a twin sister. I loved growing up with a twin sister. Her name is Katie, um, and so we are still extremely close. I think we only had one bad year where we fought. My dad might say different, or mom might say different, but I, I, I can only really remember one, maybe two years where I was like, oh, don't, don't talk to me. Um, and so we grew up, but we had completely different relationships than um, with, each, with my dad, our, our relationships with my dad were completely different because we are much different people. Like, if you know Katie and you know me, you will know that we are very different. And so my relationship with my dad was all about wrestling. I just wanted to wrestle. That's all I wanted to do. Like, even when I went over to my grandparents' house, they had this huge, like, life-size dog, and I would just practice on that dog what I'm going to do to my dad later when I get home. And so, like, he had this iron claw thing that he liked to um, just wrestle. Like, that was, his, that was his move. He had the iron claw, and that thing defeated me every stinking time. But I kept coming back for more because I wanted to defeat the iron claw. And even to this day, as a married man, I will sit next to him um, at the dinner table, and if I say something that's out of order, he would say, do you want me to get the iron claw? out like he does that I'm like no sir (laughs) that thing was brutal for years 
You know, and so we, you know, I loved, love, love to wrestle with him. The other thing I love to do with him is I love to play sports. And, and we, our, our driveway was the, uh, the scene for probably some of the roughest basketball games you will ever find, ever. Because we, we played with zero fouls, right? Just elbowing, hitting, pushing, just anything we can do to win the basketball game. Like, seriously, there was blood spilled on our driveway, right? And so there's this one time I, I accidentally pushed him into a car. I was going for the ball, but I accidentally pushed him out of the way to get the ball. He fell and hit the car. His nose was all jacked up, and he was bleeding and everything. I thought I was going to have to take him to the hospital, but I mean, it, every time I got to play basketball with dad, I was thinking, like, this is going to be awesome. I get to beat up dad. Yes, right? And then I love adventure with him. It was, it was just a great time. Like, I, I loved adventure. Like, we went to um, the beach this one time, and we were staying in a condo, and um, we were towards the end of our stay, and this tropical storm was starting to come in. And there was these massive, well, probably not massive, they were, they were pretty big to me, these massive waves that were starting to, to form and everything. And I, I looked at him, and I was like, man, I've got to go get in those things. So I said, hey, Dad, like, like, you see those waves out there? And he's like, yeah, I see those waves. And I said, can we go test those babies out? He's like, yeah, let's just get out here before your mom and grandmother see us. They'll stop us. So, and so we like walk out, sneak out, and we go get to play in the waves. And I was like, I'll never forget getting to go play in those huge waves with my dad. Now, my relationship with my dad, like I said, it was different than Katie's relationship with my dad. Her relationship with my dad was she would just want to spend quality time with dad. Like she, she would wrestle some, but that really wasn't her thing. Um, she wasn't really into sports. She would, like, maybe play if we needed, like, a six-person during Thanksgiving or something, you know, and then really all it was is she hiked the ball and stood there. And, and you know, so she wasn't really into that. She wasn't really into the adventure thing. Like, she wasn't a super outside type of person. Um, she, just, she just, like, she got to spend quality time with my dad. Her relationship with my dad was much different. She liked that he brought her security. She liked that he made her feel safe. Like, for her, a good time with my dad was simply doing a puzzle together because she got to spend time with her daddy. And, and that was how she connected with him. Whereas me, I, I wanted adventure. I wanted to go do something. I wanted to get dirty. I wanted to wrestle. I wanted to do these things. Now, I'm not saying that if you're a boy, you, you're all about adventure and girls aren't. Um, I'm not saying that if you're a boy and you don't like sports and you don't like these things, then there's something wrong with you. What I'm saying is that boys usually like these things and girls are usually this way. We see there's obviously some similarities between boys and girls. Like, I love to play house at times with Katie. There's even some times that you could see some Barbies in my hand when I was little with Katie. Like, and so there's some similarities. And then my dad encouraged me in many more things than just outside stuff. Like, I got huge, huge into music, and he was one of my driving forces of helping me with that, and so he encouraged me in that as well. And so there's plenty of similarities, but what we'll see from Scripture is there's also some differences. There's some differences in the, in the design and the creation of how God made us. And so since this is about biblical manhood, we're going to look at the specific design and detail and purpose in the way that God created men. And so everybody turn to Genesis 2 if you have your Bible. If, there's, if you don't, there should be one in the seat um, in front of you or the seat you're sitting in underneath. And we'll be in Genesis 2, and we're going to start in verse 5. This also is up on the screen if you uh, don't have a Bible at all and you just want to follow along there. And so we'll start in verse 5. It says this. 
When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature." And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord, made God, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15 with me. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, shall, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so from reading this, we can see that there is a design in how God created men. Immediately upon creating man in Genesis 2, what we see here is that God puts the man to work, doesn't he? The man was given two tasks, to work and to keep creation. As you look at verse 5, it says, No bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant had yet sprung up, because God had not caused it to grow yet, but also because there was no man to work the ground. And so then we see in verse 15, or actually as we continue to read, we see that he takes the dust of the ground, he breathes life into it, he creates man, and then he puts man in Eden, in the east, in the garden. And in verse 15, we see why he puts him there. He said he puts him there to work the garden and to keep it. And so God gives man the responsibility to cultivate the garden. And so while the, the garden is ultimately God's, God has given the responsibility to the man to steward it well, a couple things real quick. Remember, Eve hasn't even come on the scene yet. She hasn't even been created yet. And so just some help for single guys in here. Before there's ever a woman around Adam, he had a job, right? He had a job. And then another thing we see here is that this is all before sin even entered the world. And so work is not a product of the fall, but work was in the design of God as when he is designing and creating men. And so ever before sin even entered the world, God created men to work. And so what we see here one of the, is the, one of the main components of being God's image bearers for the man is that he is to work, to keep, to care for, to cultivate what God has given him. Now, the ultimate component of man's design was that he would have a relationship with God, though. And what we will see is that um, the, the, the relationship with God made him able to then bear the image of God and be able to take responsibility for what God gave him. And so another way to put this is that his identity and his activity of what God has made him to be only thrives as he is connected to God through a relationship. And so, you know, as we look at men in our in our world today, we will see this design in a lot of us. We'll see this purpose that we like to build stuff. We like to keep stuff and, and cultivate and work and create. Uh, we were created to do this. It's in all of us at some level. And men were not designed to be lazy and lay on the couch all day. I hear this from so many pastors that I love and respect, and so I'm stealing this. But I had to use it because it's just I've seen it in my own life so much. 
that when you find a lazy and bored man, you will find a man that's getting himself into trouble. When you find a lazy and bored man, you will find a man who's getting himself into trouble because we were not created to be lazy. We're not created to be bored. And I've seen this in my own life so much because time after time after time, when I am not living out what I was created to be, when I'm being lazy, I am being tempted the most with sin. I'm more harsh, I'm more irritable, I'm less forgiving when I've sat on the couch all weekend watching Netflix or sports. It's just the way it is because I'm not living out what God has intended me and how God has created me to live, but I'm living for what I want to do and when I want to do it. And so what we also see, though, is that even if we're really honest, men, even in those lazy moments, there's a craving to be doing something more, to be a part of something bigger. Because even in those moments, like, and this is how I know, because I I remember I love Rocky. Anybody seen Rocky? Most of us, yes, okay. So there's always the debate over, you know, is, it, is four better, is three better? But anyways, they're all good. So the way I know this that, that, is that I can watch Rock, Rocky, and every time, especially when I was younger, maybe not now, but especially when I was younger, every time I watched Rocky, I would end up putting some socks on my hands, humming the eye of the tiger, doing some push-ups and some sit-ups, and I begin to box the wall. Like I just, I wanted to be Rocky. And so... You know, ladies, this is why men are so crazy about sports. Like, they are crazy. We are passionate about our sports teams, you know. You, you, you got these guys where they're like, okay, everybody get together. Okay, here's what, here's what we're going to do. I know it's negative 30 out there, but it doesn't matter. We're, we're going to take our shirts off. We're going to paint the logo on our body, and we're going to scream at the top of our lungs until we freeze to death. That sound like, okay, everybody's good. Let's go. Like, it's just crazy. They're nuts, Right? Like, this is why at youth camp, we do not allow men to participate in our sports tournaments. Because there is not a, no one is more whiny and um, is, is a bigger baby than men trying to relive their glory days at youth camp. It's like, oh, I just stiff-armed a 14-year-old half my way. Look at me. I'm awesome. Right? I mean, it's just crazy. And so you see this in men. We see this even in just the kind of movies we like, like Gladiator and Braveheart, right? Die Hard. And even, even in like Dead Poet Society, you see this drive to become, like to, to do something better, to do something bigger, to do something faster. We want to be a part of those things. And this is a call that is upon all of our lives as men. It may be in different stuff. Like I know plenty of guys that don't like sports, but they do have a severe interest in something else. They want to work at it, and they want to keep it, and they want to do these things. And so what we see is that this is just how God designed men to be. But here's the problem. When men have not submitted their lives to Jesus, when a relationship with God is not the driving force behind all this passion to work and grow and cultivate, we end up cultivating the wrong things. And we neglect the most important things that God has called us to. And so flip over to Ephesians 5 with me real quick as we look at the design of men by God um, and how it's supposed to play out in our lives. This is specifically going to talk about our families. Um, And then we'll hit it over to 1 Corinthians 16 after that and see how it plays out as a whole of manhood. So Ephesians 5, verse 22. In verse 22 it says, Wives... 
Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." And so in this, we see in verse 23 that our role as husbands, as men in the families, is that we are to be the head of the wife and in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. Now, some will read that and they'll take that negatively as if women are less than, and that's not what this is saying. That's not what Scripture said. We just said that both men and women are created in the image of God. This is saying, this is talking about our roles, though, and how God created us. And so God created men to be the head of of the family. And so men are called to be the head of the family. And the head of the family means that we would work and we would keep and we would cultivate the body's health, the family's health. That's what that means. And so now look at, we're going to look at the description given about what that looks like for us to be the head, to cultivate, to grow, to keep um, our families. And so the first thing is in verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We have heard this a lot and we should. And so what we see here is this is a kind of love that's being described and is shown from Jesus that this love is a sacrificial love. And so men, one of the main ways that we are to be godly men, one of the main components of biblical manhood and masculinity is for us to walk in a sacrificial love for our wives. You are called to sacrificially love your wife, and when you do that, you're displaying Christ's love for the church. And so this means that we do not dominate our wives. We do not demean our wives. We are not short with our wives. We don't boss her around like she's our maid. This is saying, this is a call for you to give up your pride, men, for you to give up your arrogance, For you to give up your selfishness and even your life for the good of your wife. This is saying that we should be willing to sacrifice our hobbies. We should be willing to sacrifice our comfort for hers. We should be willing to get up off of the couch and help around the house, not to earn points, but because we've been called to sacrifice ourselves. This means we shouldn't be gone every weekend and leave her at home to take care of the kids because we want to go out with the guys. And the list goes on. And so being masculine, when you hear that word, being masculine is not about how far you can hit a golf ball. It's not about how much you can bench in the gym. It's not about how far you can spit. It's not about how you're right all the time. It's not about how um, everything uh, that is going on in the world you know about. It's none of that. Being masculine, being a man, is about showing your wife sacrificial love 
sacrificing yourself, getting over yourself to serve your wife and your family. Second thing that we see here of what a godly man does is he sets the tone for the spiritual direction of his home. He sets the tone for the spiritual direction of his home. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so, guys, the spiritual direction, the spiritual tone of your home is on you as the head. And we see this in plenty of other areas like Deuteronomy 6 and plenty throughout the Bible. That, that is on you. And so if you create an atmosphere around TV, if you create an atmosphere around your kids' activities, if you create an atmosphere about what we want, we get what we want when we want it, then that's what your home's going to be like. If you don't create an atmosphere centered around Christ, then it's not going to be centered around Christ. It's on you. And so this means that it's our job as men to speak gospel-centered life into our kids and into our wives and into our families. This means that it's our job to create an atmosphere of prayer. It's our job to create an atmosphere of serving the saints at the church. It's our job to create an atmosphere of reading the scriptures regularly. This responsibility does not fall on anyone else's shoulders except for you as the head of the house. It does not fall on me as the youth minister. It does not fall on Jason as the pastor. It does not fall on Jamie as the kids minister. It falls on you. Now, we desperately want to come alongside of you and help you and give you resources and do, pray for you and do anything that we can to help you because we know how big of, of a burden that can be sometimes. But the responsibility of it is on you as the man. It's on you as the head of the house. And too many men are more concerned with their hobbies than their spiritual health of their families. Too many men are more concerned with how their son throws a football than his spiritual health. And that's a problem. And that's not what we see we're supposed to be concerned about here. And so true masculinity are men who pray with their wives, men who read the Bible with their children, men who turn to the Lord in times of trouble and tell the family, I know this is hard right now, but we're going to rely on the grace of God. He is sovereign. He will work all things out. You leading that, not your wife. And so what we see here is that it's men who are willing to show their families what repentance looks like, what forgiveness looks like, much more than what being right looks like. This is men that are willing to sacrifice their wants and their selfish desires that are not guided by their own desires but are guided by God and who diligently pour themselves out for the glory of God and for the encouragement of their families. And then we get into verse 28, we see it says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, that he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And so the last thing we see here is that as men, we are to care for, provide for, nourish, and cherish our wives. We are called by God to provide for our families, to work for our families. This is not saying that you need to make more money than your wife. It's not what this is saying. But this is saying that we are to nourish her and cherish her. And the way that we do that is we work for her good. We love her well in how we get up and go to work and provide. It doesn't matter about the amount. It matters that you're doing it. 
And so, remember what we were created to be, created to do? We are created to work. And so for men who lay on the couch all day and let their wives support them, there's a huge problem because you're failing to display the image that God has created and designed you in. You're not reflecting that to your kids and to your wife and to your family. And so just because she brings in the bulk of the cash has not, does not mean that you are free to go be the best hunter this side of the Mississippi. It doesn't mean that. And so when we do this, when we work and when we show our wives that we love them by how much we work for them and we, we do things for them, we are able to not only show them that we cherish them, but we're able to show our daughters what it looks like for a man to cherish a woman. We're able to show our sons what it looks like to cherish a woman. And so here's the deal. When you refuse to do these things as men, when you refuse to do these things, you're not only devaluing your wife and your family, but you are belittling the image of God. The, the point of this passage is to show us that as we work and as we love and as we cultivate our families in these ways that we are doing something much more than what we think. But we are proclaiming and we are displaying the mystery of Christ in the church. We are proclaiming and, and displaying the glory of God and how we lead our families. Now, there's plenty of guys in here, I'm sure, and to this morning that are, that are not married, that are single, um, do not have a family, but that doesn't mean that you should disregard this call here, but rather you should image it to all of the sisters around you. And so just because you don't have a family does not mean that you get to disregard, that you're let off the hook, but in every area of your life that you come in contact with a woman, you should be an image of what sacrificial love is. Meaning, simply, Maybe you don't speak harsh to women. Simply, maybe you begin to sacrifice yourself for women. Meaning that you don't view yourself as better than women and become prideful and arrogant in the workplace. You are supposed to image spiritual encouragement to the women in your life. Meaning maybe you should encourage women in the Lord. Pray for your sisters in Christ. You should speak against what the world is telling them that they're supposed to look like and act like and be like. You should love them well. And then the last thing we see here is that we should image that we cherish women. And that can be simple stuff like opening doors for them. Single guys, open doors. Pulling out chairs. And girls, if you're dating a guy that doesn't open a door, you need to leave the date. Can I just say that? He doesn't deserve you. And so open doors, pull out chairs. This could look like maybe mowing a, uh, a widow's yard in the church. I'll tell you another thing it looks like. It looks like the, the fact that we do not make demeaning comments and jokes about women that many single guys and even married guys are making that are absolutely disgusting. And then we do anything that we're supposed to be doing to show that we cherish women. We are to image this to the people around us. Now, not all men are called to be married, as we see through the Bible. Many of the New Testament writers were not married. Paul even says it's, it's better to be single than to get married and so that you can devote your time to the Lord. And so um, sometimes it's better to remain single, and you may have that calling on your life. I haven't met many people that have that calling, but however, this doesn't disregard the call on your life to image what a man is supposed to be and to be a man of God. 
It doesn't disregard that call. And so I want to look at one last passage as we close out on what uh, manhood is, regardless if you are a husband or a father. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 13. It says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. And so what we see from this text is what manhood is supposed to be. This plays out in our families, as we saw in Ephesians 5, but it also plays out in our workplaces, in our communities, in our schools, and everywhere we go. And so this text is not just for the married man. It's not just for the man with a family, but this is the text. This text is for the man of God. It's just the general man of God of what he's supposed to look like. And so for the first part of this text, it says, be watchful, that a man is watchful. Um, and what, what I gather from this is, and, and what I know is true, if all men are honest in here, we know where we're weak. Let's not play stupid. We're not stupid. We know where we're weak. If we're honest, we know what keeps us from becoming the kind of men that God has called us to be, whether that's in the home or that's in the workplace or in society as a whole. We know where our temptations are. We know where we can easily be attacked. We know where we're going to stumble and where we're going to fall. And so this text is saying for us to be men, we have to be watchful of those things and not engage in them. That a man is not just somebody that does whatever he wants, no matter the consequences, but a man is someone who knows his limitations and is watchful of those things. He knows his weaknesses. And he stays away from them. It says to stand firm in the faith, meaning walk in what you believe, that men walk in what they believe. They don't come in here and sing praises to Jesus and take communion and hear the word of God and then go out and be a completely different person apart from Christ. And so he's saying here, stand firm in the faith that God has given you and let your faith drive your decisions in your life. It says, act like men and be strong. And that's always a hit to our ego, isn't it, men? Like, be a man. Okay. And, and so I think this is saying something completely different than probably what we think about when we hear act like a man and be strong. Because what we think of is we think of strength as a man. And it's usually connected to pride. And so, like, this idea of, well, we can do that because we're men and we're strong. That's not what this is saying. This is not talking really at all about your physical efforts, but rather it's talking about your reliance on where true strength comes from. In 2 Corinthians 12, we'll see that Paul, he'll talk, he's talking about his, uh, the thorn in his side, and what we can gather from his conversation about this is some great, significant insight on where the strength truly is for those in Christ. He says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so Paul's saying that strength comes to us as men when we rely on the grace of God, knowing that his grace is sufficient for us. That's what it means to act like a man and be strong. And so this text is showing us that acting like a man, being strong, is us submitting to Christ. That when things get hard, that we know where to go. 
We press in to the Lord, and that's where we find our strength. That when you've had a heck of a day at work, and everything you touch just kind of blows up in your face, and you've been trying to love your wife well and lead your kids, and you're trying to work hard, and you're trying to do all these things, but it feels like you just keep, keep hitting this ceiling that you know what to do in that moment. That you know you're not to act in your pride and your arrogance, but you're to come humbly to the Lord and press into him. You say, Lord, I, I've been trying, and I'm, I'm, I'm out, I'm weak. I need your strength. He's saying, as men, we know that we need to come to the Lord in our weaknesses. We need to rest on the power of Jesus. And when we do that, there's something that happens to us. We, we hear those sweet words of grace and love and mercy. We're reminded of what it is to be a man of God. We're driven by the grace of God, and therefore we find strength to press on. We find strength to be a man. And then the last part it says in verse 14, it says, let all that you do be done in love, simply meaning that the man of God does everything that he does in love, meaning he's not out for revenge, but he's forgiving. That the godly man does not talk down to people, but he talks to people with love. That he exhausts himself for the glory of God so that others would know that they are loved and for his love of the gospel of Jesus. And so like I said, this is what manhood looks like. This isn't fatherhood. This isn't just um, being a good husband. But this is a description of what a man of God looks like in all capacities of life. And that the man of God is watchful. That he stands firm in his faith. That he acts like a man and is strong in his reliance of Jesus. And that everything that he does, he does in love. So as we end today, I just want to clarify a few things. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about you know, this, this idea of biblical masculinity, this idea of biblical manhood, and just say, like, all, all of this is impossible. Men, let's just be honest. It's, it's impossible on our own. Like, you start to read this list of, like, it's almost funny when you start to read it, like, oh, my gosh, that's what the call is on my life? And, and so I also don't want to create some fairy tale up here that I've arrived and I'm um, the best at all these things. I struggle just like every one of you in here. And there are many things that I wish I did differently in my life that I'm constantly fighting against. I will be brutally honest with you guys. I do not pray with my wife the way that I feel like I should. I want to, and I desire to. And there's many times that I do sit down and I do pray with my wife, but there's also many times where I'm laying in bed and I feel like I'm supposed to be praying for her, but I have this war going on in my head and I get defeated. There's many times where I don't want to serve my wife. I come home and I just want to sit down and do nothing. I'm tired. There's many times where I don't want to be a man and be strong in my reliance of Jesus, but I act in my pride and I act in my own strength. There's many times where I don't want to do everything that I need to do in love, but I just want to give this person a piece of my mind. I don't want to love them. I want to tell them that they're being dumb. And so... Like, this is a war. This is not easy, and I do not have it all together, and I have not arrived in this area. I mess up constantly. And so, men, I just want to encourage you with something, though, that 
What you need, though, is more than books, more than um, self-help tips about what it is to be a man, more than strategies about what it is to be a man, more than going to men's conferences, which we love, most of us, we love to go to men's conferences, because what do they do at men's conferences? They beat you up, right? And as men, for some reason, like getting told we're horrible drives us to do better. But usually, it's only for a week, and then we're back to the routine, just waiting for the next men's conference to get us, um, you know, to just really demean us and tell us that we're horrible, and so we'll get up and do it. So more than all of that, we have got to have the gospel of Jesus. We have got to submit our lives to Christ, and and here's the reason for that. Jesus is the only one that's completed this impossible task for us. Jesus is the true picture of what it means to be a man. That the identity of manhood is found in the identity of Jesus. Manhood's core comes from Jesus. And throughout the Old Testament, there we see glimpses of this perfect man. But in Jesus, we see the perfect man in its fullness. And so when we come to Jesus, that's when we're able to be truly men. When we understand repentance and grace and love and forgiveness that all come from new life in Christ, that's when we're able to truly be men. And we're able to truly be what we're called to be for our families and for our society. Because a man transformed by the gospel has the driving force of Jesus Christ behind him and has the perfect picture of Jesus' righteousness in front of him. Therefore, he is able to live up to the call, but he also knows that there's grace when he fails. That a man that's transformed by the gospel owns his sin and repents. See, it, it says much more when we own our failures and we seek forgiveness. It says much more, it reflects much more of the gospel, it reflects much more of manhood when we do that more than our successes ever will. It says much more to our wives, to our kids, to our communities, to the people around us when we humbly come before them and we say, I've messed up. I was prideful, I was arrogant, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said this, that's not who God called me to be, that's not how God designed me, and so I'm asking for your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me, I'm so sorry. That says more to the people around you, and that type of attitude and life only come through a life transformed by the gospel. Looking to Jesus, repenting of our sin, asking for forgiveness, and continuing to rely on the power and the grace of Jesus and to live out all that God has called us to be, that's what being a man is. That's what true masculinity is. It's not what the world tells us it is. Let's pray real quick.